a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about how The Apprentice made Donald Trump. Because, yes, he's always been a bit of a name, but he was apparently, if you read into it, a, quote, D-lister before The Apprentice. And they plucked him out of, well, he wasn't obscure. Everyone knew his name by then. He'd written a book by then. Everyone knew, yeah, who he was. He was very wealthy and had lost his fortune a couple of times and had said stupid things. But this show chose him, the producer chose him, a guy called Mark Burnett, and this completely changed his life. Keith. Yep, it's a remarkable story. This is an article I've come across in the New Yorker magazine by Patrick Radden Keefe, how Mark Burnett resurrected Donald Trump as an icon of American success. So the essence of this is that Donald Trump at the beginning of this century was um, a failure in New York, right? We know he'd inherited a lot of money from his father. How much are we talking, Keith? How How much did he inherit? Well, there's a continuing debate over that. Many millions. You know, he was a landlord at the age of six. His father, in order to disguise the wealth of the family, separated it early on and gave it to children. So Trump was a landlord at the age (laughs) of... Obviously, he couldn't sign contracts, but had become a millionaire at the age of six. But as you said in your remark, he was a failed business person um, and had had numerous failures and the banks had to make a decision in the 1990s whether Trump was worth more dead or alive. They decided that they would keep Trump alive, not because of his business sense, his business ventures, but because he was a brilliant person at marketing. And so Trump then has his name placed on hotels. Uh, Trump Airline failed. Uh, <laughs> Trump Stakes failed. Trump University failed, but it's Trump. And so we see Trump as an example of somebody who is famous just for being famous, not for what he's actually achieved. So it's very different from, say, Richard Branson. So Richard Branson has got Virgin as airlines, railways in the United Kingdom, um, record. He started off with records. That's where I first ran across uh, Richard Branson. (laughs) So he has been brilliant at, going, at taking that brand, the Virgin brand, and putting it into a number of different commodities. Trump tried the same thing and failed, but it kept alive the name Trump. And, of course, with a guy called Schwartz, uh, wrote a book about the art of the deal, which Schwartz himself has now disowned. He wrote most of the book, uh, not Trump, um, and he's embarrassed about it. I noticed that being interviewed recently on American television that he disowned the book and is embarrassed about his involvement with the project. Mm. Um, and so we get this guy called but Mark. Hold on a minute. Yeah. It was so successful, though. So why would he disown Marketing. it? Marketing. Yeah, so I... people bought it with a view to learning about the art of the deal. The art of the deal is that you behave like a shyster and treat people badly, oh. which is why in the end people didn't want to do deals with Trump. That's why, you know, he kept on ending up with these bankruptcies. It also meant that ultimately he had to borrow money from the Russians, which is another story. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) So this guy, Mark Burnett, from the United Kingdom, makes it eventually in the United States and does reality TV. So he's a specialist in reality TV. And he hit on an idea of The Apprentice whereby 
each week for TV purposes, you would have an entrepreneur training people how to be good entrepreneurs. Trump was approached. Mark Burnett ran across Trump at a New York function and was very impressed, which we all are, you know, with the way that he spoke and his presence, etc. And so he approached Trump to see if he'd be interested in being one of these entrepreneurs who could run this program and be the MC or and make the decision about people staying on, etc., in the competition. And Trump shone, absolutely shone, in ways that are different from what you'd expect. So Mark Bennett simply looked upon Trump as being one person. In the end, the whole series was based around Trump mm. year in, year out, because he was just so good. Um, but Trump's brilliance was not that he could read off a teleprompter, because uh, he can't. And we've, we've noticed that when he tries to give speeches. But left to his own devices and speaking uh, in a spontaneous way, um, it's interesting in the article, they talk about the energy, the impulsiveness, the inability to articulate a complete thought because he gets interrupted by emotions. So when Trump speaks, it's all adjectives, great, huge, horrible, right? But this is great TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so what happened each week is that Trump would decide who was going to be the winner and then the job of the producer was then to go through and edit 200 hours for each week's hour to be able to show why Trump was vindicated in that decision. So complete opposite from the way you would normally do it, which is that you would look at the competitors you know, as they whittle their way down. But, in fact, Trump wouldn't do that and he couldn't concentrate on any of that. He just simply intuitively selected somebody and the producer said, right, well, that's the conclusion. Now we've got to work out how we get there. For me, it's been absolutely fascinating reading this article because it shows how unique Trump is. I might just say um, uh, one of my uh, Boston University students was talking about a movie called A Face in the Crowd made in 1957, so 60 years old, which is now being shown again on American campuses. You can get it for free off YouTube, A Face in the Crowd, and uh, made by Ella Kazan, very serious filmmaker. And it's about a singer who's a bit of a drunkard, but nonetheless a singer who's able to perform in the media and ends up as a major influencer in American life. I won't spoil it for you by giving you the ending. And the person is Andy Griffith, who was became later on very well known as a comedian. But this was a very serious role, very serious movie, and it flopped. Americans in 1957 could not imagine a TV personality ever having that much influence. And remember, in 1957, the person who was in the White House was General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. So here you had a wartime general as president following on a very successful politician, Harry Truman, following on, of course, Franklin Roosevelt. The idea that you could have an entertainer in the White House just didn't work at all with audiences in 1957, and the film flopped. It is now seen as one of the best American films of the 20th century. Really? Ella Kazan realised far quicker than many other people the power of television, of entertainment, and the fact that you are famous for being famous, not for any underlying skill. And and so Trump, uh, this movie is being shown now on liberal campuses in the United States because it fits in with the way that Trump, for the first time ever in American politics, 
Trump is an entertainer who's in the White House. If you think back, how you get in the White House, either you're a major military figure like General Eisenhower or General Grant, or you come up through the ranks of being a professional politician. So the person who followed um, Eisenhower was Senator John Kennedy. After him, you had Senator Lyndon Johnson. After him, you had Richard Nixon, who'd also been a senator. These are professional politicians. The last time there was a business person running the United States was Herbert Hoover, uh, and that was in the late 1920s. So it's not business doesn't supply politicians. It's politicians coming out of politics or it's the military. And now, for the first time ever, we have an entertainer in the White House, somebody who is famous for being famous. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking today about how The Apprentice made Donald Trump. A guy called Mark Burnett, who is a TV producer with his own interesting background, actually, approached him in a restaurant before, obviously, the series. Donald Trump was seen as a bit of a D-lister. He liked to blow his own trumpet, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but not had not really accomplished a lot, had he? No. The Art of the Deal was largely written by somebody else, yep. but very successful, and that was his main calling card. And, of course, the series ended up just phenomenally successful because of Donald Trump, yep. and it revolved around him, essentially. So he was meant to be on a panel to begin with, and it ended up being the show was about Trump. And was it, I, I'm trying to remember, Keith, how big was it in the first place? Because it dwindled off, didn't it? Or was it, it, always it was big? dwindling towards the end, yeah. It had a good run, many seasons, but it, it was running off. But, but by this time, of course, it had given Trump this very high visibility, which for me suggests that Oprah Winfrey should be the Democratic challenger totally. next year for exactly that same reason. Measured, uh, loves people, yeah. um, seen to be empathetic, Yeah, you know? Yeah. In the article uh, in, which appears in the current edition of The New Yorker, there's this comment, what made Trump so magnetic as a reality television star was his impulse to transgress. And it is the same quality that has made a captive audience of the world. That somebody can become that successful while being that emotionally undisciplined. It's so macabre that you have to watch it. (laughs) And you keep watching for the comeuppance, but it doesn't come. Not yet anyway. There's never been a man who in his own lifetime has been as widely spoken and written about as Donald Trump. Politics has never been so spellbinding. And I've got to say, as somebody who teaches political science to young Americans, we have record enrolments in political science courses now in the United States. I bet you do. Well, it's like uh, even um, when I worked in TV, every time you would do for the first year of Donald Trump being in power in, sorry, in the, well, it's better, in the White House, better said, um, and all the gaffes he made in that first year, it was amazing television to make because people just loved it. It was just, it was funny. It yeah. was funny. There were caricatures done of it. All the late-night TV talk exactly. shows over there had yeah. a ball. You know, it was just brilliant TV to make. It is. And what is interesting is to look at Trump following on one of the most articulate presidents <laughs> in American history. An orator. An orator. Trump is not. And yet Trump is a genius at communications. I was looking at somebody who did a, an analysis of him. One is that he makes his speeches sound as though they're off the cuff, so he speaks spontaneously. Uh, he uses what is called paralipsis, which says, um, which is saying what I'm not saying. For example, I'm not saying you're a child molester, Kate, 
but anybody listening in will think you are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, a bit like President Obama and the birth certificate scandal. You know, I'm not saying he was not born as an American, but, of course, the implication is, of course, you did think that he's he's an American. Um, He avoids pauses through repetition by using slogans. For example, America first... um, and projects his sense of self-confidence, which is really what mm. makes him so amazing. He uses ambiguity, so he leaves audiences to fill in the gaps, and he helps you to persuade yourself to like him. Very manipulative. Mm. Um, and he fi- he's brilliant at finding a common point of grievance, such as political correctness, uh, an enemy that he needs to point at, such as China or Islam, and he uses suspense which was always, you know, P.T. Barnum said, you've always got to make the audience curious. Uh, So this sort of stay tuned, it gets the voters curious. They want to know what's going to happen next. So Trump is a genius at communications, completely different from Obama, so smooth and articulated, one of the brightest people at Harvard in his time. Trump has none of those qualities and yet is also a great communicator and he's doing it instinctively. It's a brilliant success story. And he also, you're right, and it's, and it's also, I've got to give it to him, he has comedic value as well. Like, he's funny. He is funny. And he yeah. also, the pauses. Yeah. You know, that were those sort of momentary pauses. I mean, he, he's a great performer. You've got to give it to him. And, and this, of course, is, is what is so significant about this article, that it was able to show how a reality TV star could end up in the White House, which has previously been occupied by distinguished military officers or politicians. Yeah, right. He is famous for being famous. He literally personifies that. Yeah. And that was exactly the warning that we had in 1957 from that other movie that was made. But do we think that someone like Oprah Winfrey would have a chance still in this particular climate now that Trump's had a go? Who knows? Um, Her name's not on the 20 that's being circulated at the moment. And it may well be that she's better off running her financial interests rather than getting down in the dirt with Trump. Yeah, but, I mean, do you think the uh, the American public would go for someone like her? Who knows what the Americans are going for? Don't forget, Americans have voted three times in a row for an outsider, right? So they voted for Obama twice, young black fellow, 99 out of 100 senators. So he is, you know, right at the bottom of seniority. He was an outsider. And then um, the Democrats, of course, then put up an ultimate insider, which is Mrs Clinton, when they went again for an outsider, which is Donald Trump. And I think the Democrats next time round will need to come up with another outsider, another fresh face. Now, there could be Oprah Winfrey or it could be Beto O'Rourke, etc. Somebody who comes from outside who is not tainted with being an insider. And the Americans are looking for a change. I was about to say, and the Republicans aren't really renowned for having someone who's an outsider run. Like, is Trump their first real outsider, Keith? Absolutely, they're... because Trump, you know, took over the party. If you think back to where we were this time four years ago, the beginning of the four-year election cycle, Jeb Bush was the obvious contender. Remember, the brother of one president and the son of another. Um, he was the obvious contender, and yet he got knocked out quite early on in the proceedings. And Donald Trump four years ago was not being thought of as a presidential contender. So how has he, for people listening, how has he altered the 
the Republican outlook? Because it's, it is quite different, as you it said. It is completely different. And so many Republicans, including those that I've mentioned, like General Eisenhower, would not be a member of the Republican Party today. And remember that the two President Bushes, uh, George Bush Sr. and his son, both refused to attend the Republican nominating convention in 2016. So the mainstream Republican Party did not want to be associated with Trump. They thought he was going to be a loser. Now, Trump's ability is to mobilise a small percentage of Americans, 30%, but they are enthusiastic. They are passionate. And that's the base to whom he keeps on appealing. He's never going to appeal to the the majority of Americans. But then a lot of Americans don't bother to vote, whereas his base will be trudging through the snow and voting. So then how? what issues are we seeing that have changed under, like, you know, that Trump's focused on that the Republic, traditional Republicans uh, feel are being left now to the wayside or put to the wayside? Um, not so much traditional Republican issues, but he certainly hasn't delivered for his own constituency. Coal mining continues to decline, for example, in the United States, even though he promised it was going to expand. But that's not because of the White House. That's because of market forces. Solar energy is becoming cheaper. It's just purely economics. Um, So traditional Republican issues are God, gays and guns. We love God, hate gays and think everybody should have a gun. Um, And he sticks to that. And he sticks to that, absolutely. Yeah, and it works for him. And it also has brought in this very large block of conservative Christians who don't get involved in American politics because American politics is seen as sinful. And besides, Jesus is coming back any day now. <laughs> they don't get involved in politics and he is able to attract them. And so that that's an also an important force. That's a new market area that he has gone to and has mobilised. Good old Trump, Keith. Trump is certainly a remarkable person. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.